confirmation bias, how it distorts what we see about God. Particularly, I want to talk about confirmation bias and how it has prevented our people Israel from seeing certain things about God and about the Messiah. So let's look at this. There's going to be three things we're looking at today. I want to make to you a learning promise. Three things we want to learn about today. Number one is confirmation bias. Why? Many Jews never discover what's out there. They never discover, especially what's out there about Yeshua. Secondly, the Rambam, Moses Maimonides, uh, 11th, 12th century, great genius, uh, incredible rabbinic genius, very prolific author, also a physician uh, to the Caliph of Egypt. And we're going to look at the Rambam and why many Jews claim that the incarnation is not Jewish. You've probably heard that yourself. Number three, we're going to see three reasons why the assumptions that are made about the idea that the, that the incarnation is not Jewish, how these assumptions cause problems for Jews and Judaism. So uh, let's, let's begin. First, confirmation bias. Why many Jews never discover what's out there. What is confirmation bias? It's the tendency to look for information that supports rather than rejects one's preconceptions. Again, it's the tendency to look for information that supports rather than rejects one's preconceptions, typically by interpreting evidence to confirm existing beliefs while rejecting or ignoring any conflicting data. Confirmation bias is a tendency to look for information that supports rather than rejects one's preconceptions, typically by interpreting evidence to confirm existing beliefs while rejecting or ignoring any conflicting data. That's what the American Psychological Association says about it. It's a tendency of people to favor information that confirms what they already think. It's a tendency of people to reject any information which contradicts what they already think. Uh, the effect is stronger for emotionally charged issues and for deeply entrenched beliefs. So what kind of deeply entrenched beliefs are there around today? Well, what many Republicans believe about all Democrats. Uh, if you don't spend any time on Facebook, I want to congratulate you. I'm not so smart. But you go to Facebook and you'll find that many Republicans have just one blanket opinion about Democrats. And for sure, many Democrats have a blanket opinion about all Republicans. And any information that contradicts what these groups think about the other group, any of that information, they just write off as fake news. What many people believe about all homosexuals there are many people who believe that every homosexual man is looking to molest your son. That's just not true. Right now, with the recent legislation about transsexuals, 
I find people on Facebook obsessing about the fact that, uh, that uh, Joe Biden wants men to be invading girls' bathrooms. That's not exactly what it's about. And if you think that every transsexual is just eager to, uh, to, to snoop on people of a certain sex, come on, folks. You got to be more sophisticated. This is confirmation bias. What people believe about undocumented aliens, and every one of those undocumented aliens, they're looking to freeload. They're probably rapists and drug addicts. They're probably gangsters. And any information that appears to confirm this, the people grab up any information that, that disconfirms it is just ignored or discounted. Confirmation bias, what many people believe about everybody involved in Black, in Black Lives Matter is a Marxist socialist communist. Did you know that? I, you're supposed to know that because people with confirmation bias who already accept that opinion, from their point of view, it's an open and shut case. And anytime they read about anybody in Black Lives Matter who's uh, left of center, uh, they mock them as a typical Black Lives Matter Marxist socialist communist. This kind of stuff is going on all around us. And similarly, what Jews believe uh, the Bible teaches about God and the Messiah. And, and I was raised to believe that Christians distort the Bible. That was the opinions we had. And we were very prepared to have that bias confirmed. All Christians twist the Bible. That's why they believe what they believe. Beginning of argument, middle of argument, end of argument. So confirmation bias is the tendency to look for information that supports rather than rejects your preconceptions. I think of, I had a friend when I was a kid who was a racist. I lived in a neighborhood that was all Italian, 50% Italian, about 30, 30, 35% Irish, uh, actually about 30, 35% Jewish, and the rest was Irish. Black people did not live in my neighborhood, uh, at least uh, for much of my childhood. But I remember knowing a guy who was a racist, a real racist. And his opinions about black people, I would not uh, repeat his visceral reaction, especially if you saw a black guy with a white woman, he went completely bonkers. And I can assure you that he was convinced he was right and that he would find every scrap of evidence about any kind of crime committed by a black person or anything like that to confirm his bias. So confirmation bias is a fancy word for a certain kind of prejudice, not just about race or things like that, but a prejudgment that certain things are self-evidently true and anything that contradicts that is just not to be considered. So let's look at our second point. Jewish people have a confirmation bias as to what they might discover about God holding uh, uh, preconceptions, biases about, what, about whether God, for example, could ever be in a physical body. 
I've got two people up here. On the left is the Rambam, who lived in the uh, late 11th, early 20th, er, early 12th century. As I mentioned before, this is Mosin Maimonides. He was born in Cordova, Spain. He flourished in Egypt. He um, and, and the person on the right is Rabbi Alan Maller. Rabbi Alan Maller, formerly of, uh, let's see, of, uh, I think it's B'nai Akiba, or uh, the, the his synagogue, uh, Temple Akiba. Uh, Alan Maller, uh, uh, I enlisted his aid with my dissertation. He was a reform rabbi. I went and I, I interviewed the people in his synagogue. To his credit, he allowed me to do so. He had a class there and I interviewed the people there about their attitudes about the rabbi's role. But also prior to that, he invited me to come and address a class he was teaching at American Jewish University. And when I got that invitation, I said, excuse me, Rabbi Maller, you know who you're asking, don't you? He said, yeah, I want you to come and talk to people about what you believe. I was astonished. So I went to American Jewish University and I talked about what Messianic Jews believe. And uh, it turned out it was a setup. <laughs> I was speaking to a group of, uh, of a group called the Elder Hostel Group. These were not H-O-S-T-I-L-E, but H-O-S-T-E-L. Elder Hostel Group was a group of, of uh, retired Jews, most of them school teachers, as I could gather. And they were getting Jewish education from Rabbi Maurer. And I was invited to speak about what I believed. And I mentioned during that talk that uh, many people find that what Messianic Jews believe to be um, ridiculous because they think that we think that a man became God. I said, we don't think that. We think that God became a man. Rabbi Maller was sitting behind me and he interrupted me. He says, well, he says, do you think God could become a dog? And God, blessed be his name, gave me wisdom right at that moment. I said to him, I said, Rabbi Maller, I said, the Torah teaches that man is made in the image of God. The idea that God would become a human being, there's a certain compatibility there because we're made in the image of God. That's not true about dogs. That was the last word he said about that. Then afterwards, uh, uh, he had another man speak uh, who, uh, who had converted to Judaism and had rejected whatever kind of Christian faith he had had. So he spoke after me. At any rate, these assumptions about the idea that God could not become a man, we owe to the Rambam on here on the left side of your screen. His views of colored Jewish perceptions of what the Bible teaches down to this day. He taught this, which appears in many Siddurim. I believe with complete faith that the creator, blessed be his name, is incorporeal has no body, that he is free 
from all anthropomorphic properties and that he has no likeness at all. The problem is today's Torah passage speaks about God in physical terms. It says that, that, that um, uh, it says that, sorry, just a second. It says uh, that Moshe, Aharon, Nadav, Avihu, and 70 of the leaders went up on Mount Sinai. It says they saw the God of Israel under his feet was something like a sapphire stone pavement as clear as the sky itself. He did not reach out his hand against these notables of Israel. On the contrary, they saw God even as they were eating and drinking. That's from Exodus chapter 24, verse 9 to 11. But the Rambam and the Judaism patterned after his thinking will have none of this. The Rambam insists that God has no body, never did, never will, and never could. Now, he did, he said this because he was an Aristotelian philosopher. He, he was trying to harmonize Aristotle with Torah. He was absolutely mega brilliant. And he tried to harmonize Aristotle with Torah. Scholar Sarah Koro says this, Torah is filled with anthropomorphisms about God. Mara Bar-Ilan, who was the co-editor of the encyclopedia, of the Talmudic encyclopedia, and he's the guy that Bar-Ilan University is named after in Israel. He died in the 1940s. He even states this, in the first centuries, Jews in the land of Israel and in Babylon believed in an anthropomorphic God. The, the Jewish sages, who existed before the Rambam did, they believed this. But for the Rambam, incorporeality, the idea that God has no body, was logically a necessity because by his Aristotelian philosopher, philosophy, it had to be that way. Jews disbelieved this, not because the Bible forbids believing in the physicality of God, but because they've absorbed Rambam's assumptions, this is confirmation bias. Again, Jews disbelieve in the possibility of the incarnation, not because the Bible forbids this way of thinking, but because they have absorbed the Rambam's assumptions. This is confirmation bias. So now I come to three reasons why these assumptions cause problems for Jews and for Judaism. The first reason is about um, sacred space and the Holy Land. Holy space and the Holy Land. Uh, Rabbi Michael Vishagrod points this out. He says that Judaism believes that Israel is the Holy Land. And it believes the temple is holy space. Why? Because we believe that God manifested himself, that he rested upon that 
land and he dwelt inside in a special way in that temple. We believe that the God who fills earth and sky and heaven and all the universe also localized himself in above the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. And he localized himself and manifested himself in uh, the temple. Visegrad says this, it must be emphasized that the Jewish objection to the incarnational theology cannot be based on a priori grounds. You can't just base it here. He talks to second point. He says, you're pitting philosophy against the freedom of God. You can philosophically postulate that there is something that God cannot do. You can't take your philosophy and make it a cage which God cannot escape. We cannot compromise the freedom of God. The point is this, as, as Vishagor would point out, if God wanted to become a man, who's to stop him? You can't just say, well, my philosophy says it can't be that way. You cannot compromise the freedom of God. That's the second reason. The first reason is because Judaism does teach that God can and does localize himself in the confines of space. And secondly, we have to protect the freedom of God. If God wants to do it, we can't say can't be done. And finally, the theophany on Sinai, which we looked at today. This is a third reason. This is not the only place where the Bible teaches something like this, where you have to at least, you have to at least entertain the possibility of the physicality of the manifestation of God. Now, of course, it's a different kind of physicality than, than the person sitting next to you on the subway, but it's, it's a physicality nonetheless. We read in today's Torah reading, Moshe, Aharon, Nadav, Avihu, and 70 of the elders went up and they saw the God of Israel under his feet. It's an incredible passage. There was something like a sapphire stone pavement as clear as the sky itself. He did not reach out his hand against these notables of Israel. On the contrary, they saw God even as they were eating and drinking. So what did we learn today? We learned about confirmation bias. Why many Jews never discover what's out there, never consider what's out there, because they're only open to information that confirms what they've already been taught. And do I blame them for this? Absolutely not. Is this a Jewish problem? No, it's a human problem. But when it comes to Jewish people considering Yeshua, it's a particular kind of problem. The Jewish people will never discover many things about Yeshua because they've already accepted preconceptions, pre presuppositions that contradict that faith. However, number two, in the case of the incarnation, those presuppositions come not from the Bible, but from the Rambam, who 
because of his sympathy for Aristotelian philosophy, taught that God uh, has no anthropomorphic uh, manifestations, that he did not, does not, cannot, will not. And this is why many Jews claim the incarnation is impossible, it's not Jewish. They don't realize it comes from the Rambam. We just, we're good Jews, we believe what we're told. And then we looked at three reasons why these assumptions cause problems for Jews and for Judaism. Because of, of the fact that the Torah does teach that God can, even though he fills earth and sky and heaven above and all the full, the full cosmos, he also was capable of localizing himself. And we saw that uh, that uh, this whole the, the idea of the philosophical uh, imprisonment of God that Judaism cannot do that. We have to preserve God's freedom, that He does whatever He wills in earth and sky and heaven above. And uh, because we find passages like the Theophany at Sinai, which contradict this. Uh, refusal to believe these things. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. May God add the blessing of his Spirit to the preaching of his word. Shabbat Shalom.